on. All right. It is, it is good to hear about the good that is being done in uh, the flood relief work. We had a meeting of several of the men that are leading those efforts, and uh, we're thankful for those men. Those men are working pretty much six or seven days a week. Uh, they are working long hours, and we want to make sure that we communicate clearly to you needs and things that you can fulfill. There will be teams going out pretty much Monday through Saturday. And so if you are available during those days, uh, be sure and check, and we can tell you the times and the places and etc. But also, we'd like for you to know that there's a standing invitation that every Friday, every Friday, Saturday, let's go back to Thursday, every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 8 to 5, teams will be leaving out from here. Every Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Also, because several of you have mentioned that you work and you wish you could be a part of it, there will be teams beginning in the evening after work on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday also. And those teams will begin probably somewhere around 5 o'clock and they'll work into the night. And so if, if whatever time you can get off work and however late you can stay, uh, that is a need. And so we hope that you'll find a place to fit into that schedule. And, and it's not that we need you every one of those days, but if you could fit into that schedule on a, a, a weekly basis or every other week or every third week, if everybody jumps in and does their part, uh, a lot of good could be done. If you know of drywall finishers, right now, this week and next week, that's some of our greatest needs. If any of you can can finish drywall, and we're not talking about, oh, I've done it one time. We're talking about you can really finish drywall. And, or if you have friends, uh, neighbors, if you have brothers and sisters in Christ that live in other towns, and maybe they would be willing to come in. Remember how close we are to Nashville Airport? It'd be easy for them to fly in here, work a good long weekend. They could work a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, help finish a few houses, and, and we could have them back on the road Sunday night, back to their job. And so be resourceful, if you will. Think of individuals that you know that, that this would be good for them, but it would be very good for the work here. And that's one of our immediate greatest needs right now for the next few weeks, those that can finish the drywall. Tonight, uh, I'm kind of reminded of the fact that I'm not going out for the most popular preacher award today. When you'll preach on Sunday morning about giving and Sunday night about fasting, you're kind of out there to say, here it is. Hope you can take it. Hope you can like it. It's from the Word of God. But yet on the other hand of that, uh, other side of that same coin, I've got to tell you, I love the topics that we're covering today. It wasn't by design that both of those fell in the same day. It was more of where we were in various studies. But I'm thankful for the opportunity to give this topic tonight a deeper study. And I also want to tell you up front, it's a topic that now, after I spent many hours this week studying this topic, I realize there's a lot more that I want to study. I have studied myself into a lot of questions that I still do not have firm answers to. But tonight, what I'd like to do is study with you some things that are obvious, some things that we do have some firm answers. One of the things that 
is somewhat discouraging maybe when we talk about the area of fasting is that we live in a time and we live in a place where food is so readily available and we have made it very much a part of our culture and our social surroundings. How many times do we say we've got to get together sometime and we don't mean food? Most of the time, food is in the middle of that. We've got to get together sometime. We have to celebrate something. What do we mean? Let's get together and have a big meal. Oh, that was the best evening I've had in a long time. What do we mean? That was our favorite meal. We live in the time where, where pizza places are on every corner and, and a time where the golden arches seem to rule our life. And then we come along and say, you know what? It may be best that there's times in our life that we don't eat for a while. And our human nature says, do what? That doesn't make sense to me. And so tonight, let's try to make a little sense of a topic that our human nature says, I don't understand that. I don't see why we would want to do that. And as we look at this, just by way of introduction, I want to mention to you that my frustration so far with studying this topic is that because in the Middle Ages there was so much writing, and, and of course if you're using a generic term, it's called church fathers, but what that means is denominational leaders throughout the years, and especially in the Middle Ages, they have practiced this with, with such extreme uh, practices, and they have written so many pages about it that today you can hardly read anything on this topic except it being heavily and sometimes wholly influenced by, quote, church fathers, not by God and not by the Word of God. I mean, really, it's hard sometimes to find articles, books that you can read on this without getting done with them and laying them down and saying, that was about this much Bible and this much tradition of man. Now the reason I mention that to you is because when you have religious friends around you at your workplace and your community, and they talk to you about fasting, perk your ears up, because much of what they're probably going to say is tradition of men instead of Bible. I'd like for us to think by way of introduction of you know how hard it is sometimes to keep the pendulum from swinging from one extreme to another extreme and find that middle of the road that's actually God's teachings on it? A few of these pendulum swings that I want to just mention to you as, as we get started. One is the very fact that, that it is vogue today among some individuals to speak of fasting as if it's a cleansing of the physical body and, and it is even a way for some to manage uh, weight. Some fast twice a week simply to maintain their weight. Uh, it's also being promoted today on many websites as, as it is an anti-aging practice that you can participate in. That's bringing the pendulum all the way over to the physical body and saying, I want to participate in fasting because I believe that it's good for me physically. There may be some benefits to fasting, but let's face the reality. If you fast for a long enough period of time, it's not really that you're fasting because it's healthy for your body. It really isn't. But then there have been those that have swung the pendulum, as I've already mentioned, in, in the Middle Ages to the very fact that what they practice and what they do is so extreme and they do it in the name of spirituality. It's the idea that, that I'm going to have one up. I'm going to be closer to God than those around me. And, and you read article after article of individuals that one man wanted to work his way up. And again, going back to traditions of men, Lent, tradition of man, 
doing away with something for 40 days before Easter. Uh, you know, all of that is, is tradition of man. And, and so the idea of Lent, he, in the Middle Ages, he wanted to work himself up so he could literally fast for 40 days. No food whatsoever for 40 days. He worked himself up to where he could do that. But then that wasn't close enough to God for him. He wanted to be able to work his body in such a spiritual exercise that then he could fast and stand up during most of that time. And so he literally tied himself to a pole until he found the strength to be able to stand while fasting for 40 days to pray to God. Now, I would suggest to you that we find nothing in the Scriptures to prove that the longer we could fast or, or the more strain or stress that we could place on our body, that, that the more we do it, the better. As a matter of fact, I do want to warn you of a danger that you hear people mention. Usually fasting is coupled with something. Fasting in prayer, for example. Fasting in grief. You remember in the Old Testament... David would fast and he would sit in sackcloth. Why? It, usually fasting is associated with something else. Please never confuse this. It's not that our prayers all of a sudden become more heard because we're fasting. In other words, this is such a serious matter. I'm going to fast about it because after all, if all I did was pray about it, God might not answer my prayer the way I want. But if I pray and fast about it, he would have to hear that prayer. It's not a manipulative device that when we really feel like we have to demand our way, that we can pull it out and use it against God. It's not a magic potion that, that if we fast and do something else, God cannot ignore our will. In other words, what I suggest to you is we do not fast for what we can get. Just let that sink in. We do not fast for what we can get. Instead, what we see in the Scriptures is that fasting is tied into something. It is the response to something, and it is also what it can do for us and for our spiritual life. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. The third thing that I would like to mention to you, just for clarity's sake, is we do see a lot of swinging of the pendulums, and, and kind of in the middle, we have this biblical definition of fasting. The only thing we see in the Bible that fasting contains is either not eating food and continuing to drink, or it's not eating food or drink. And keep in mind, no one recommends you to go beyond three days not drinking. And, and that is the fasting in the Bible. And I know we can go to a lot of extremes, especially swinging the pendulum over here. And it really is because of the cultural insight of, of the, quote, church fathers of the past that now have brought in this idea of Lent. And it is just abstain from something, and that's fasting. Well, I'm just telling you from the Bible, abstaining from something is abstaining from something. It's not fasting. Fasting in the Bible is fasting. It's saying, I'm not going to eat. Or I'm not going to eat or drink. And if, if we're not eating, the, usually the source of liquid is water. And so, so the idea of saying, you know, I, I think I'm going to give up sports. I'm going to give up reading the paper. I'm going to give up desserts. I'm going to give up. Listen, there are a lot of things that we probably would grow stronger and we would benefit if we would discipline ourselves to give up some of those things, either for a period of time. And so I'm not suggesting to you that to abstain from certain things 
is not good. I'm just simply saying that really doesn't have much to do with anything along the topic of fasting in the Scriptures. Fasting in the Scriptures involves food. Uh, avoiding the intake of food and or water. As we look at this topic tonight, I'd like for you to see just a few things. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus fasted. The second thing I want you to see is that He expects it. And number three, I'd like for you to see that God rewards it. Let's look at an example. And by the way, I don't know if you recognize this uh, just off the top of your mind, but there's no way we can say, let's look at all the times of fasting in the Bible. There, We literally could do a, a quarter-long series of all the fasts in the Bible. It's, it's literally amazing when you start studying it how many of the Old Testament characters fasted. But let's just go right into the New Testament and let's see, number one, let's go to Matthew, the fourth chapter, and let's see that, that Jesus did it. Uh, we could see a few times, but let's look in, in Matthew, the fourth chapter, this is the beginning of his public ministry. He's been baptized. Now he's going to go out into the wilderness. The Spirit is leading him out into the wilderness. And he's going to be tempted for those 40 days. He, and this, this had to involve an amazing, an amazing um, uh, 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 discipline, if you will. We see in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up to the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is Matthew 4 and 1. Notice in verse 2, And when he had fasted, Forty days and nights afterward, he was hungry. Hmm, that makes sense. I mean, it's hard to imagine fasting 40 days, but it makes sense, that ending phrase there. Afterwards, he was hungry. Now, notice how this is somewhat of a response, if you will, to a very critical time in the life of Jesus. What's just happened? He has just begun his public ministry, even though, in a sense, it hasn't gone public yet. In other words, what's going to happen? He's going to be baptized. He's going to go out and fast for 40 days. He's going to be tempted by, by Satan in the wilderness. And when he leaves here, it's full-blown public ministry. And so, in response to this critical time in his life, we see fasting and prayer taking place. Why did he do this? Well, there's, I think... Some, some kind of reading between the lines, some really keen insight here. Notice what Satan's going to do. In verse 3, Now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Can you imagine how tempting that must have been? I, I, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but if any of you have ever fasted, if you fasted for 24 hours, if you fasted for 36 hours, or, or maybe if you fasted for, 30, or for 12 hours, you get some kind of notion. But the idea is when a fast is over, you're hungry. And so what, what, is, what is Satan doing? He's appealing to the human nature of Satan, of Jesus. And, and he's coming in and saying, why don't you turn that bread into stone? Uh, stone into bread. And, and notice what he says here in verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, there's always something more important than the physical. Right now, if I were to ask you, not in this setting at church, if we were at your workplace and I was a co-worker, if I was one of your neighbors, and, and for whatever reason, we just started talking about a great day. When, when's the last time you had a great day? 
I wonder how often it might sound something like this. Oh, I tell you, a few family members, we got together last Saturday and we ro drove up to Kentucky and we went to Patty's and we had a huge four-inch pork chop and oh, the mile-high pie, it was so good. And I tell you what, on, on the way back, my, my son, my grandson called and, and they told me about the, the, the baseball, the softball game they were in. And they hit a grand slam, a walk-off grand slam and they won. I tell you what, that was one of the best days I've had in a long time. Is that really what life is about? Now, I know if you haven't been thinking about fasting all week, you may be hearing this and saying, I don't understand. But you see, that's our struggle. Is that really a good day? Is that really a good life? I mean, is that really the good stuff in a good life? We so oftentimes couple a good day with whether or not it's been our favorite foods and whether or not just physical and secular events that have nothing to do with spiritual life. And if those things seem to go well and the recipe turned out well, we say, wow, that's awesome. And the Lord, after fasting for 40 days, refuses to turn the stones into bread and He says... Man is not going to live by bread alone. We're going to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What does fasting do? It helps you and I stop and say, realize, recognize, experience, feel. There's something a lot more important in this life than just the physical things that surround us. When you're fasting and your, your hunger pains are there, but yet you know you're not going to eat, what is that a reminder of? It's a reminder of I've committed myself for this period of time that there's something more important than this. And it is a constant reminder. Do you know Jesus was quoting here, and this is what I believe brings some of the greatest insight to this, uh, this teaching here that we can learn from fasting. He was quoting back from Deuteronomy. Turn back, if you will, to Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. Remember, this is where the children of Israel were fresh out of Egyptian slavery. And so now they've come over, and, and they're probably, apparently, from what's implied here, is they're feeling a little bit arrogant, a little bit pride-filled. Hey, look, we have our freedom. We're, we're headed to the Canaan's land. And so notice what the Lord says He allowed to happen in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. Deuteronomy 8 and 3. Now keep in mind, this is what Jesus quoted when the passage we just left in Matthew 4. So this is what Moses says to them. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Get this, children of Israel are coming out. God says they need to learn a lesson. They think it's all about the physical. They're concentrating so much on, on if they have all the physical things they need, they're missing the more important thing in life. God, how are you going to teach them a lesson? I'm going to let them go hungry a while. When men and women go hungry, they start to put things in better perspective. I'm going to let them go hungry. And what else does hunger do? According to God, it humbles you. I'm going to let them become humble. I'm going to let them become hungry. And then I'll give them manna. 
But when I give them manna, they're going to know that man can't live by bread alone. But it's by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you've never fasted, this will not make sense until you fast. But there is a humbling effect to fasting that I don't know how to put into words. It's an identity with your weakness, your frailty. It's an identity that you depend upon God. You remember that great Jesus that fasted for 40 days? And when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, you remember one of the phrases in that prayer where he thanked God for the daily bread? I'm not saying this to insult you. I hope that every one of you can say, I, I do that in a righteous fashion. But when you say, let's have a prayer before we eat, do you say that because it's tradition? Do you say that because it's habit? Or are you truly thankful that God has given you that daily bread? Now, if you've reached a point in your life where you say, honestly, it's hard for me to be truly thankful because I've had that meal every time. Fast for a little while. I can assure you that when you break that fast, your prayer will be true gratitude for the meal that is setting before you. Why? Because fasting and hunger is humbling. It reminds us of things so much more important than just us. We tend to get an arrogance, a self-sufficiency, Keep in mind, what did we say fasting was for? Remember a few minutes ago we talked about we don't fast to see what we can get. We fast for what we can become. When we can humbly pray because we fasted. When we can humbly mourn and grieve because we fasted. You see, the fasting is most of the time linked to a response to something else. Does the Lord expect it, though? We know that He did it. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke, the fifth chapter. Luke, the fifth chapter. In verse 33, we see this, what might seem to be a little bit awkward situation at the moment because in Luke 5, we see John's uh, disciples being referred to, and they had continued fasting. And look, if you will, in, in Luke, the fifth chapter, in verse 33, Luke 5 and 33, then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? Pause here for just a moment. You remember that, that the Pharisee, when he stood and prayed, he prayed that, that he fasted twice every week. Now, are you aware of the fact, and you won't pick this up in any of your, quote, church fathers' books and articles, the only fast that was commanded in the Old Testament by God was the Day of Atonement. The one Day of Atonement was the only day commanded by God to fast. Now, men have brought in many, many other traditions about fasting. As a matter of fact, by the time Jesus was on this earth, the Pharisees had brought a tradition that said, if you don't fast for two days every week, you can't be faithful. And literally, I could mention some denominations that you would know well that if we backed up a hundred or so years in time, they still commanded their people that if they were going to be faithful to God, they had to fast twice every week. 
Now they would suggest, one group would suggest Tuesdays and Thursdays and another group would suggest Mondays and Wednesdays. And the reason they suggested two different times is one group thought the other wasn't sincere, was not sincere and they didn't want to be mistaken for the others. All of this cultural stuff gets so confusing as we try to study. I don't want to know what men have done for hundreds of years. I want to know what does God expect. And so Jesus speaks here. Look in verse 34. Well, let's finish 33. And likewise, those are the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. In other words, why do John's disciples continue fasting and your disciples don't fast? They continue eating and drinking. And, and he said to them, Jesus answers, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? You know that when the bridegroom is there, it's time for the feast. It's time for the celebration. It's a wonderful wedding going to take place. We have to celebrate. This isn't the time to fast. And so now notice what Jesus says in 35. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, died. He was buried. He was resurrected. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. And Jesus says about his disciples, after he ascends into heaven, my disciples then will fast. It is true that there is not a direct command in the New Testament that says, <clears throat> you must fast on this particular day. But there are several passages that speak with the understanding that disciples of Jesus will fast. Once he ascends, Jesus says, my followers will fast. So it's safe to say, even though it's not a command, Jesus expects it. And so what is it that we can learn from this? Well, we go to the early church, and obviously disciples of Jesus, did they fast? In Acts the ninth chapter, we see that when Saul was being converted... You remember the bright light shone down? Here he was, the, the, the most uh, vicious persecutor of the church, it seems. And now he's on the road to Damascus and the bright light shines down. And, and now his attention has, has been uh, not only gotten, but his heart has been touched. Try to imagine for just a moment the grief that must have come on Saul. The moment in this experience he's blinded, the moment it truly dawned on him, Jesus of Nazareth is really the Messiah. This church that I've been going out and persecuting is truly God's church. Can you imagine how he must have felt? I don't think I've always understood the story of Saul as it's related here to the tremendous grief that he must have felt, the remorse that he must have felt about his actions. I believe it's that remorse that we're going to read about in verse 9. You know, he goes in verse 8, they take him to Damascus. They have to lead him because now he's blind. And look in verse 9. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Why? He was grieving. No doubt he was, he was sorry for the, the sins that he had committed. He was being converted. In other words, that's what conversion is. Conversion is to say, I'm sorry for the sins I committed. I want to turn from that and I want to turn to God. I want forgiveness of sins. 
As a matter of fact, that would have been very much an Old Testament principle. I want to read quickly for you Joel 2 and 12. Joel 2, 2 and 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And He relents from doing, of, or relents... Slow anger and great of kindness, he relents from doing harm. What's Joel speaking of here? He says, God's merciful. God will have you back. Joel, what do you, uh, Old Testament, Joel, what do you want us to do? Old covenant. And he says, of course, fast. Show your grief for your sins. Why, what, is, what does fasting do? It humbles us. It leads us, apparently, to a greater obedience. Did the church do it beyond that? Let's go over to the sending out of the missionaries in Acts 13. The church is Antioch. They're going to send out Paul and Barnabas. It's going to be Saul and Barnabas because that's what the Holy Spirit told them to do, going right for the subject of the matter. Look at verse 2 and see what they did. And as they ministered to the Lord, so they were serving the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now think about this for a moment. Do you think, now imagine Paul and Barnabas are here in the front and they're about to go on a journey and these leaders of the church come down and they lay their hands on them and this is after these leaders have fasted for a while and they lay their hands on them and, and there's nothing miraculous here about the laying on the hands. It's simply identifying the one that's being prayed for. They fasted, they have laid their hands on them and they say a prayer for this. It's going to be a historic missionary trip and they say a prayer would that trip have been different if they wouldn't fasted? In other words, do you think they were trying to manipulate God? God? Now, we could just pray for them, but if we fast and pray for them, you have to make this trip a success. You see why I'm emphasizing that tonight? I think our human nature, if it, we have to be careful, our human nature is... I want to do things to get my way. And, and if this is the way I, I want my prayer answered, surely if I accompany it with fast, that's not the purpose of fasting. What was the fasting for? It was humility. God, we humble ourselves. We don't want to get wrapped up so much in this life this physical life around us where we're driven by the physical nature. We want to be reminded of who we are. These men are about to go on a spiritual journey. They're going to build up a kingdom. It's not about the nation or, or the little city there of Antioch. It's about Christ's kingdom. And they humbled themselves in response to this great opportunity that lay before them. Let's see the very similar thing, except as we go to the 14th chapters towards the end of that missionary journey, and we see that, that it was time to appoint elders, and now we're reading about 
Saul and Barnabas, and notice what they did in the 14th chapter in verse 23. They're going back around all these cities that they had established a congregation in. And 23, it says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended him to the Lord in whom they had believed. Commended means deposit. In other words, Lord, imagine these, these two leaders, these, Paul and Barnabas, we've helped this congregation select these elders. We're going to leave them in your hands, God. We've given them the truth. You've given them the task. We commend them to you. We deposit them to you and to your word. And before we leave, we're going to fast about this great work. We're going to pray about this great work. Jesus fasted. And He said that His disciples, once He ascended, would fast. And we go into the New Testament and we see that His disciples fasted. It was a very humbling time to place themselves carefully into the will of God. I'd like to close with one more passage, Matthew the 6th chapter. In Matthew the 6th chapter, Jesus spoke again, implying that fasting was a very good thing to do. In Matthew 6, if you know the first half of this chapter well, you know that there are three topics written in a parallel fashion. First, he writes and he talks about charitable deeds and how they aren't to be done to be seen of men. And then he speaks about prayer. And he talks about prayer being something that we do not do to be seen of men. And then he speaks about fasting. And it's that same parallel fashion. And notice in 16 when he says, this is Matthew 6 and 16, Moreover, when you fast. Notice that. It's, it's implied. He would expect his disciples to do this. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, do you get that? What he's teaching here is this simple. If you're going to do it, don't be a hypocrite about it. Well, Lord, I don't know what you mean about being a hypocrite about fasting. He says, are you fasting to be humble? Are you fasting to be proud? See literally the connection? He says, if you're wanting to everybody to say, wow, you mean you've been 12 hours? Oh, you mean you've been 24 hours? This person over here has been 36 hours. That's the most spiritual person I've seen. They're on their third day of fasting. And the Lord says, it's not about that. Fasting is about humility. He says, don't walk around with signs of fasting. If so, you already have your reward. If you're wanting people to give you that a boy, you really are doing a good thing. He says, that's all your fasting is going to be worth. Nothing good will come out of it except what you receive from men. Now let's read this next two verses. Verse 17. But you, when you fast, notice that again, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, he's telling them, look fresh. Don't look like you're worn out. Don't try to, to by your appearance, to show people that you're fasting. Verse 18 so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Remember the verse 
Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. What did Jesus say? You, you fast with a humble and a righteous spirit about you. And when you do that, in other words, in secret, the Lord that sees in secret, He says, He will reward you. Somebody said, I just don't know if we need to fast today or not. I want to review for you three things that we've seen from God's Word tonight. Jesus fasted. Jesus said He expected His disciples to fast. And He made it very clear that God rewards those who fast. Tonight, I really mean it when I say I wish I could give you even deeper truths. Right now, that's what I know. I look forward to studying it more. But I really do believe that somewhere in the swing of these pendulums that are way off in two directions, there's a rich, humble experience that maybe too often we've overlooked. Tonight, let's be humble. And if a part of your journey to be humble involves that you need to be saved, you're tired of trying to do it on your own, you're ready to submit your life to the Lord, we'd love to help you with that. If you're a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men, will you be immersed into Christ for the remission of those sins? It does take humility. Any man will come after me, let him deny humility, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Tonight, maybe you've begun that journey, but somewhere along the way, you've picked back up the sin instead of laying it down. Maybe tonight, you want to humbly come back as one who has repented and confessed that and asked God's forgiveness. Tonight, what a blessing it is to come and worship with God's family. But even a greater blessing if in doing that helps us grow closer to God. And if there's anything we can do to help you tonight grow closer to God, please come as we stand and as we sing.